Brett McGarry. He is Greg Mackling. And uh, one of the big stories of the day, of course, Jeff Braun led with this in his uh, 6 o'clock newscast, The City's Patio Smoking Ban, which takes effect on Sunday. So at 6.45, we're going to have a conversation about that. I'm excited about that conversation because there are a lot of sort of differing opinions in our newsroom this morning. And a few nuances as well, right? Uh, For someone like me, who has never smoked before, but worked in the restaurant industry, the hospitality industry, I know the effect of of eliminating smoking and the, 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 the legislation, the the effect that it had on the business overall, I know, was detrimental. But as a consumer, I love this, right? Because anywhere that there isn't smoking is a happy place for me. Mm-hmm. However, I try to balance my opinions on things by looking at both sides. And I think we may have messed up a little bit on the legislation here, in my opinion. And... Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing everyone's opinion and airing them on the air. But this is something I think is way overdue in terms of uh, making patios uh, a last bastion for smokers. Hey, I I do understand to a certain extent that people want to consume food and beverage and have a cigarette when they're either while they're doing that or after they have a meal. I get that. Uh, but it does preclude and it does infringe on those that don't smoke. And here we are. So we'll chit-chat about that. Send us your takes on it uh, via text, 780-6868, ahead of time. Or send us an email, gmac at cjob.com or brett at cjob.com so we can uh, allow you to weigh in on our roundtable as well. It is Thursday, so after the 7.30 news, it's our small town salute. We're going to Stonewall today, specifically to Oak Hammock Marsh, because they've got uh, an Easter egg hunt, a GPS Easter egg hunt. So that sounds pretty cool. Kind of like a geocaching sort of thing. Yeah, I think so. I'm not entirely sure. So we're going to ask Jacques Bourgeois from Oak Hammock Marsh about that at 7.37. And then after 9 o'clock, we're going to talk about... Baseball, it's opening day, game one of 400 or however many games are in the regular season of Major League Baseball. 162, Brett. Each team plays 162 regular season games. The odd time they will play less than 162 because if your team's been eliminated from the playoffs in the playoff race and you get a rain out in August and and the intention was to make that up near the end of the season and it doesn't turn out to be pertinent to the standings, the odd time you will play maybe 161 or 160. But yes, it's 162. It is a lot of games without question. But there's something special about opening day and something special about baseball in general. Even if you don't enjoy the sport itself, going to a baseball game is different than hockey. It's different than football. And we'll talk a little bit about that. The, the romance of baseball and attending a game, whether it's Shaw Park, uh, Yankee Stadium, or Wrigley Field, there is something romantic about it. I've been to over 30 Major League Baseball games in my lifetime, and I cannot tell you the final score in any one of those games. Really? And you know me, I'm a stats guy you and all that numbers. sort of stuff. And the numbers, are, but the baseball is different for me. And uh, we can talk about that a little bit more this, uh, later on this morning. Well, let's, we got a couple of minutes here. <laughs> I'm curious about that. Is it the? Is it just the the fact that the game itself is is maybe a bit more relaxed than your typical 
sporting event because usually with baseball there is a whole lot of waiting around and I don't say that in a negative way but the baseball it, it the action comes in short bursts and Correct. then there's a lot of pauses now, there was a survey done and I should have cracked it open I uh, didn't realize we we're going to talk about this at this moment but I think it boils down to if you're in a ballpark and it's about two hour two and a half hour to three hour game uh, barring any extra innings or whatnot. I think in total in that two and a half hours in baseball, it boils down to about 25 minutes of actual action. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yes. Okay. Because you're right. Uh, It takes uh, less than three seconds for the ball for the, from the time the pitcher gets set to the time the the ball makes it to the the catcher's glove and gets back to the pitcher's glove. I, I, I think they, Consider that "quote unquote" action yep. in baseball, and then you have you know uh, sometimes you you might have less than a dozen hits in a game. So uh, the action part is very limited. They call it America's pastime for a reason. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why they hand out scorecards for you to keep score. Uh, yes, it, it's part of the game, but it's also a part of the interaction for the fans. But being at the ballpark is really about socialization in my mind. It's about getting to know the people around you, spending quality time either with your children or a friend or a family member that you've gone to the ball game with. It's about the sights, the sounds, the smells. And uh, maybe that sounds over, overly romanticized, but uh, that, that's, that, for, that for me is baseball. Yeah, I, I went. remember the first time I went to Shaw Park, which was just a few years ago. And I really enjoyed how relaxed it was because I could still enjoy the action on the field. I liked walking around the concourse, and I I really liked how it was completely sort of wide open. Yes. Uh, that was something that was unique to my experience with uh, pro sports to that point. And there's, I don't know if it's just the sounds of the ballpark. I made the comment about when we went to the uh, the North American ice hockey match on Friday with uh, the Winnipeg Jets and the, uh, the Anaheim Mighty Ducks. I know it's the Ducks, but uh, <laughs> um, but uh, it, there is something special about the sounds that are associated with a hockey game, the, the cracking of the sticks, the puck bouncing off the boards. Um, you, it's not something that you can quite pick up off a of television. It sounds pretty good on TV, especially if you have big stereo, but it's, you, it's the, you know, you can't duplicate what you get in real life. So when you go to a ballpark and you right. hear the cracking of the bat, especially the wood bat, that's a whole different topic. I just, I hate the sound of an aluminum bat. Oh yeah. Uh, so when you go to a ballpark, you hear the cracking of the bat and you hear all those things. Um, it, it is a unique experience. And I also enjoy listening to uh, baseball on the radio. Nothing like it. There's nothing like it. And it's something that you can have on in the background, right? And so the way you listen to it on the radio and the way you engage in it at the ballpark are very similar. It's almost like it's it can be just in the background. You know, it's kind of like being what well, they call it a ballpark for a reason, I think, because you are sort of there and that at different times you will focus your attention as to what's going on on the field, going on in the diamond. But a majority of the time is spent socializing the exact opposite of hockey, because I know when I'm at a hockey game um, for those 20 minutes of of action in each period, I'm focused on the game. I might chit chat a little bit during the odd whistle. And now that they have those inter uh, the, the, the extended timeouts for television where they clean the ice, there's more of an opportunity, but typically I save my conversation for in between periods. Well, yeah. at a baseball game, you're chit chatting the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you, are you like uh Cameron and Ferris Bueller? Hey, bada, bada, bada. Hey, 
Kennedy, 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 so we need You do that? No. 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 <laughs> You'd be pretty good at that. I've never been a bad, a bad, a bad guy. Never been one of those guys. <laughs> you know, it's a rocky, poppy song. I like Bon Jovi a lot. And as bad as this song kind of is, I love it. I'm a sucker for Bon Jovi. Back with McGarry on this Thursday morning heading into a long weekend. Plug your ears, Jerry. Uh, For many folks, for a lot of people, it's a four-day weekend. We will uh, B&M about that on Monday morning because some of our co-workers have Monday off. Yep. Uh, we do not, so we will be here with you, whether you have to go into the office on Monday or you have a day off, Easter Monday as it's known, uh, we will be here from 6 until 10. As usual, tomorrow we will not be here as a majority of folks celebrate Good Friday tomorrow or observe it at the very least. At 6.45, we're going to have coffee talking uh, about the patio smoking ban, which comes into effect on Sunday. We got an email. We've been asking for your feedback on this. Bruce says, I couldn't be happier about the upcoming ban on patio smoking. Can't be ignored that Winnipeg is pretty much the last jurisdiction to implement this. That is very accurate, Bruce. It's way overdue and puts us in the 21st century. There's nothing that ruins my appetite more than secondhand smoke. It's funny how so many people who always cry, Winnipeg is the only city in Canada that hasn't you can fill in the blank after that for so many issues, change their tune when it comes to smoking. I think the question for so many contentious issues in the news needs to be asked. How are other places handling it and how effective is it for them? Bruce, thank you for your feedback. GMAC at cjob.com. A lot of websites, including Facebook and Google, store and sell your personal data. If you didn't know that, By now, you certainly know it now. It's how they make money, and it's what we've sacrificed for a more connected world. Global News Europe Bureau Chief Jeff Semple looks at what those companies know about you and how they use it to influence you. Exactly one year from now, the UK will officially exit the EU. This means that the UK has voted to leave the European Union. One of the biggest storylines following the Brexit referendum was voter turnout. This is our moment. The Leave campaign did a remarkable job of mobilizing its supporters, thanks in part to a Canadian company, Aggregate, or AIQ, a small digital advertising firm based here in Victoria, B.C. Vote Leave paid AIQ around $5 million, 40% of its campaign budget, to produce targeted ads aimed at a specific group. They are incredibly effective. Canadian whistleblower Christopher Wiley told British lawmakers that AIQ had access to the personal data of tens of millions of Facebook users and developed software capable of targeting voters based on their Facebook and online profiles. You can probably predict with pretty good accuracy whether you're liberal or conservative, what political parties you support. Uh, We can also generate pretty good predictions of your personality. Psychologists break down personality traits into these categories, known as the Big Five. A study found Facebook users who liked the cartoon Hello Kitty, for example, were much more likely to have open personalities and vote liberal. Well, users with neurotic traits react much more strongly to fear, such as an ad about a home break-in. 
That ability to turn an online profile into a psychological profile is how Facebook made its billions. They have said that they, can, they know when teenagers feel insecure and are in need of a confidence boost. That is in their marketing material. They advertise themselves to political campaigns with this very ability of micro-targeting people based on these highly detailed profiles. But here's the thing. While your Facebook data can predict how you'll vote, Research shows that even micro-targeted ads have trouble convincing people to change their vote. They can, however, spur people to act on their beliefs. In the case of Brexit, AIQ and its micro-targeted ads were credited with the large voter turnout among Brexit supporters in a referendum that was won by just over a million votes. Jeff Semple, Global News, London. I wonder what being a Winnipeg Jets fan or a Winnipeg Blue Bomber fan... Uh according to Facebook, makes me gullible. Why is that? <laughs> well, you know, uh, zero championships between the two of them since 1990, right? Mm. So, you know, it's interesting how the fact that you like Hello Kitty, they attach that to a certain type of psychological profile. Uh, it'd, be, it'd be fascinating to do a deeper dive on that entire story, and I suspect there'll be folks that are doing that. So... Maybe you're in the, the the sucker for punishment category. That might be it too. And Chicago Cubs, you throw that in as well. <laughs> oh my word! <laughs> I mean, of course they they ended their their uh, hundred year plus drought uh, a couple of years seasons ago. But let's get realistic. Yeah, it's a good thing. Soccer for punishment. <laughs> it's a good thing you're also you're not also a Maple Leafs fan. As of this Sunday, as we've been discussing, you will no longer be permitted to light up on outdoor patios. That's when the city's patio smoking ban comes into effect, even though it may be a little too cold to enjoy sitting outdoors this weekend. If any establishments want to convert their patios to smoking pens, Manitoba Hotel Association President Scott Jocelyn believes it may not be that easy. Our, our understanding today is that that cannot be used as a smoking area. You'd have to get the barriers removed and have the occupancy removed from that area uh, to allow people to smoke. So it would be easier just to, if it had never existed and you just threw a picnic bench in the middle, you know, middle of your area, then yeah, you could do it. But because it has... It has been a patio. It has the barriers that people had to have to have it set up to be a patio. Those all have to be removed, and that is frustrating. So today we're having coffee, talking patios, and the smoking ban. Do you think this ban will make you visit outdoor patios less or more often? So, Greg, why don't we start with you because you've uh, you've been very vocal over the years uh, about how uh, you are. You've never smoked, mm-hmm. and you are happy to not be around smoke, but you also try to, to at least see the perspective of smokers. So where do you stand on Yeah, this? smokers and business owners, right? As a oh. former restaurant owner, manager, employee, I, I saw it from all sides over the years. What, are you trying to keep up with behind the glass, Jerry, or what? <laughs> we should actually write down uh, the, the jobs that uh, each of us have had. I don't know whose list would be longer. I'm starting to believe it might be Jerry's list. <laughs> Um, but I digress. Yes, this whole question uh, about whose rights are more important. Uh, we have to remember that the smoking ban came into effect as a workers' public or a workers' health and safety issue originally, and that's how the government 
proposed it. That's how they got it passed and how they took it out of the hands of individual operators. So for those of you, well, how come we can't have individual restaurants decide? That is why, because Mm -hmm. it is a worker health issue and that's the way it started. As far as patios go, uh, you know what? I understand, yeah, you're outside, but it still bugs people that are not smoking. And I'm going to point to an article out of New York. There's, in fact, a city councillor there, and this is just in the last few days, smoking while walking, not in New York. If new bill is passed, smoking (laughs) while walking would be banned in New York City. If a new bill is passed into law, Peter Koo is a councilman in New York. He's introducing the legislation. He did so yesterday in what he says is an attempt to keep secondhand smoke away from pedestrians. Hmm. Kelly Moore? Uh, You know, I I, uh, had forgotten what the uh, original intent was for the smoking ban, but, and I'm a non-smoker and I'm allergic to cigarette smoke. So I, I want to put that out on the table there. It would be easier, easy for me to say, no, don't have any smoking. But I also understand people have their habits. I, I, to me, let the marketplace decide. If I'm a business owner and I figure that my business will not be affected adversely by having smoking on the patio, I'll continue to do that. Have the law available to me. To use at my discretion. Then if I'm a business owner where I think, wow, you know, my 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 take every month is going to go down the tank if I don't have uh, a smoking ban in my facility. So then they can invoke the law. Make it discretionary and then let the marketplace decide. Yeah, I agree with that uh, to an extent. I also, the thing that really bugs me is the, a lot of places have the smoking pens that they have built specifically just for smokers. I remember when I used to go to the Windsor Park Inn when it was Pharaoh's nightclub and uh, before that it was Euphoria, but when it was Pharaoh's, they they built uh, just this little fenced off area that was specifically just to go outside with a smoke. You couldn't bring your drink outside. You just went out there to smoke. The only people who went out there were smokers. It was not an area where you were served. So, so I think that you can still smoke there so long as there's no food or drink. No, they, well, from what Scott Jawson was saying is that uh, you can't. They got to take they it gotta down. They got to take down the pen. They got to take down any barriers was, that would segregate it separately in any way, shape, what, or form. Was there, there an occupancy? Was there an occupancy license there though? Because I thought that was the key thing. See, this is the trouble. There's still a lot of gray area with yeah. this, isn't there? Well, just in terms of that one part of it, but yeah. the, the way Jocelyn described it, we just played the clip. Yeah, is essentially you have to take down those barriers. You can let people out your door right. and allow them to congregate to smoke, but you can't have a fence around it because now that constant a patio, whether you're serving or not. Okay. Yep. And I, I think that's ludicrous. Yeah. Because, you know, you mentioned nightclubs. You've got all sorts of security issues with nightclubs, right? I know on the Palomino patio, uh, I, I've been there a couple of times since they moved locations. When you go out on the patio, they don't have any washrooms out there. If you want to go inside to go and use the washroom, you have to get back in line. If there's a lineup out onto the patio, you have to get back in line. They have no pass in and out privileges yeah, wow. on the patio. Well, they're going to have to adjust that. 
Well, well, what, but, yeah, but what are you going to do if you're a smoker and you want to go outside? That not means you have to leave the no, premise. No, what I'm saying is the Palomino will have to adjust them. They'll have to have some kind of a stamp or maybe when you come in, you get a rubber band to but, show that you were in there. Or, no, you know, no, but my point band, was, yeah. Kelly, even with just the patio where there's no smoking involved and you're still on the premise, right. you're not leaving the premise. Now to have a cigarette, you're going to have to leave the premise. Yes. In order to go and have that cigarette, and you, they have, some places have metal detectors, they have wands where they're okay. checking your ID. Are you going to have to go through that process every single time you want to have a cigarette? I think that is a little bit ludicrous, Jerry. Yeah, that, that seems a bit dumb. What do the bars in every other city in the rest of North America do? They, they, have, they have the area where there is no serving, there is no food, there is yeah. no drink, and you can go out there and have a smoke and then come back in and then continue on with your, your, your merry way. I mean, that just makes sense. Why would they make it so that uh, the Penned area is a patio? That makes no sense. If they're not serving out there, there's no food, there's no drink out there, what's the big deal? Yeah, the it's only about people security, out, right? The only people out there are the smokers. Right. And it's not like you're putting your staff in harm's way because they're not going out there to serve them. It covers all the bases as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Shanalee? Well, you know what? I mean, I'm, I'm sorry that the smokers are going to be super inconvenienced and they're going to have to walk even further. But this is just the way the world is going now. This yeah. is this is ha- ha- happened uh, in other cities. It's been going on for a long time in, in other cities. Now, I grew up with a smoker. My dad smoked up. Uh, heavy, heavy, heavy. And I, I know I was fine being around cigarettes. And, and then, uh, you know, later on after my dad passed away, um, I can't be near cigarette smoke at all. It makes me terribly ill. I don't know if I'm allergic to it like Kelly, but even just being around somebody who, who's come in from outside and smoked, I feel like I'm going to, I'm going to throw up because it makes me that ill. So it really is like, it really is kind of a, a health and safety issue. And I, I applaud them for, um, for doing that, for making the patios smoke-free. Because, and you know what, in fact, now I can go out in the patio, I can go have some lunch, I can go have a drink, because I was prevented from going out there before because of all of the smoke. I have to tell you, one of the grossest experiences I've ever had in my lifetime was sitting on a chairlift at Silver Star Resort, making my way up to the top of the mountain. This is in Vernon, BC, this is for Vernon, people that aren't Right, yeah, in Vernon, BC, skiing, you're outside, and the guy ahead of me on the chair <laughs> is having a smoke on his way up. So he does his thing. Yeah, and it's all coming back to you. <laughs> he leaves his smoke behind, and what do, the chair lift comes, and you go walking, yeah. you go right into a wall of his smoke that has lingered in place. So... Lots of sides on this, but bottom line is, really, it's my should be my right to breathe clean air. Non-smokers vastly outnumber smokers at this point, so and smokers are used to getting chased away from everywhere. They'll deal with it. Lots of feedback at two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight about smoking on patios. You can weigh in by text, or you can email brett at cjob.com, gmac at cjob.com. Just want to read one quick text here, and this is uh, regarding to taking kids. Dan here, I was always put out when my kids were small because we could never enjoy the restaurant patios. Kids were not allowed out there with the smokers. Now they are grown up, so I have to wait for grandchildren to treat them to outdoor dining. Interesting. Lots of uh, great feedback on this. Keep it coming. GMAC at CJOB.com. Brett at CJOB.com. Or on text, as this texter uh, brought up another topic in the news today, and uh, I'd like your feedback on this as well. Is it just me, or 
Are more people having a problem with politicians who run for office in areas where they do not live? I live in St. Boniface and will vote for a neighbor before I vote for a renter. See you, Dougald, as in Dougald Lamont, the leader of the Liberal Party, who has expressed and declared his intention to run in St. Boniface, the uh, vacancy left by former Premier Greg Selinger. So I'd like to get your feedback on that. I don't know if we'll have time to talk about it, but if we do, I'd like to have your input because it feels as though, Brett, it's more and more common for folks to run in areas where they do not live. Well, we have had some fairly high profile politicians as well uh, serve in areas where they did not live, right? Yes. Like, was it, was Gary Dewar one of them? I believe Gary Dewar was one of those. And uh, I also uh, mentioned to you off the air, my great uncle Al uh, was the MLA for St. James, Assiniboia for years and years, lived on Moray Street, ended up building a house out in Dougald. And I think his entire last term as MLA uh, representing St. James Assiniboia, he lived in Dougald. And just to be clear, we're talking about Dougald, which is east of the city of Winnipeg. Yes, not <laughs> not not with Dougald, Lamont or yeah. anything like that, yeah. the town of Dougald. So, yeah, there have been lots of examples of that. Uh, Pat Martin has been accused of living in British Columbia while living <laughs> and representing the folks of uh, Winnipeg Centre. So uh, he has a place, I believe it's on Salt Spring Island. So, uh, yeah, lots of conversations around that. Curious if it affects whether or not you view this person as worthwhile voting for or representing you either at City Hall, at uh, the legislature, or in Ottawa. Yeah, and many people as well uh, feel like our premier uh, uh, lives in Costa Rica, right? <laughs> y- yes, Brett. <laughs> you had to get that in there, didn't you? Yeah, just a, just a little jab uh, as we head into a long weekend. The Manitoba Métis Federation says it will take the provincial government to court over the decision to scrap a $67 million payment to the group from Manitoba Hydro. Here's Global News reporter Christian O'Mell to explain why. In 2014, the Manitoba Métis Federation, Manitoba Hydro, and the provincial government, then the NDP of course, came to an agreement called the Turning the Page Agreement. According to the MMF, this deal meant that the province would only get involved if Hydro and the Métis could not reach a negotiated agreement. In the case in question, they did in July of last year, dealing with a number of projects, including Bipole 3 and the Manitoba-Minnesota Transmission Project. This deal is that near $70 million deal that the province quashed last week, leading to the resignation of almost the entire Hydro board. The MMF says the deal is fair and not unlike past agreements between the Crown and Métis and non-Métis farmers compensating for the impacts of land loss. Now the Federation taking the government to court, asking for a judicial review to overturn the decision. Lawyer Jason Madden says Premier Brian Pallister, who called the deal persuasion money last week, knew about this deal eight months ago. Let's get real. The truth will always come out on this. And we have documentation, we know that this was approved, and the idea that someone is now trying to reframe history or what actually happened really just shows a political desperation. Federation President David Chartrand says he believes in the hydro project but has to protect the province and its land. This premier, he's hoping a can of worms. You see in a Global Mail, you see everywhere else, he's hoping something that he cannot shut. And remember, this is not only for me. He said this is for indigenous people. From now on, they do not negotiate 
to indigenous people. Only indigenous, he didn't say private landowners or anybody, just indigenous. From now on, there'll be a new a new relationship in, in Manitoba. So First Nations, trust me, they'll be coming. The legal team couldn't say when this will actually go to court or when it could wrap up, but until it does, it's unlikely the last leg of the Bipole 3 project will get finished. No question that we have uh, just started to hear the conversation surrounding this controversial decision, whether an agreement was binding or not. I guess that's really the question that we are debating and will be debated in court if it gets that far. Count the geese population at certain times of the year. Oak Hammock Marsh might be the second largest city in Manitoba. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Tens of thousands of geese migrating north in the springtime, south in the the fall. We are going to go to Oak Hammock Marsh. Uh, It's part of our small town salute every Thursday at this time. And, uh, well, Oak Hammock Marsh is just outside Stonewall, Highway 67. Jacques Bourgeois from Okamic Marsh joins us now. And Jacques, it's been far too long before or since you've been on these airways. Great to uh, have you back on 680 CJOB. Good morning. Great to be back as well. So you've got an Easter egg hunt with a little bit of a twist happening this weekend. Tell us about it. We do. It's uh, something we started to do uh, a few years ago. I must say I'm a bit of a geocacher. I kind of got into geocaching uh, when it first came out in the early 2000s. And geocaching is, uh, you know, using a GPS device to look for little boxes scattered around the world. I say, hey, why don't we just combine the two? And turns out it became super popular. So we do like a high-tech scavenger hunt for, for Easter eggs this year. Sounds like a great time and a great combination of uh, ingenuity, fun, and technology. For those that don't know the geocaching, maybe just uh, take it uh, one step further and explain what that phenomenon is all about. Well, basically, what happened is uh, back in 2000, the uh, the U.S. government decided to remove the uh, scrambling signal of the GPS uh, system. So, meaning every citizen could actually use them and have some very accurate reading. And one guy said, hmm, I'm not sure about that. I'm going to check out the system. So he placed a container in the mountains in Oregon and posted the coordinates on that new thing called the Internet. And one guy said, hmm, that sounds interesting. I'm going to see if I can find that box. And he, he got his GPS and walked to the mountain and found the box. And a new activity was born. So now there's millions of little boxes hidden around the world. And people can find them with their GPS units to go in and find a log book and, and do some trading. It's actually a lot of fun. Well, sounds like uh, Pokemon Go uh, had a even more interesting predecessor. Uh, I mentioned the fact that if you used geese as a human population, Okamak Marsh might be the second largest community in Manitoba from time to time. Would that be accurate, Jacques? How many? What's the most number of geese on the marsh at any one time? Well, the most I've seen was uh, back in the uh, early 2000s. We had almost uh, half a million geese uh, coming through the marsh in the fall. It was quite uh, quite impressive. Uh, these days, I guess now Winnipeg is a pretty good uh, contender for having a lot of geese in the fall too because of all the little retention ponds and so on. But uh, I'd say on average we have a couple hundred thousands of geese coming daily at the marsh in the fall. How many have you seen so far? Well, the spring migration is quite different. They don't come as, as big groups anymore. They come in smaller groups, and they're a bit more uh, defensive. They will, bas- they will basically try to uh, defend their territory. They're a bit more territorial. So um, I've probably seen a couple hundreds already, and there's more and more coming every day, in spite of the cold. 
Yeah, and it's going to get really cold tonight. Uh, how do they tend to react? Because I know that some of them just stay through the winter, but what? how do they react when they come in and then it cools off again in a situation like tonight where it's going down to minus 21? Yeah, well, they just hunker down. Basically, geese are super well adapted to the cold temperatures. They have this nice, nice thick duvet that keeps them warm. And even their feet, which are naked, they basically have something called counter-current heat exchange, which means the cold blood coming back from the feet will actually get warmed up by the warm blood going down to the feet before it comes into the body. So they have really good adaptations, good systems to survive the cold. So the cold is not the, uh, the main preoccupation right now. It's, uh, well, lack of food and lack of water which I think it's becoming more and more available. So it's not too much of a hard time for them. Yeah, as Barrett Miller told us earlier in the week from Fort White, that they, they, they really are, are searching for open water. And I was shocked. I just kind of noticed going over the Red River the other day how wide open the river is, uh, at least at the perimeter highway, Red River. Uh, just all the basically all the ice was gone the other day. So uh, open water, not an issue, but it could be an, a, an issue as we make our way through the next few days yeah but uh, once again even uh, the geese of the marsh they didn't know where to find the water for example the red river the mcbex was there a couple weeks ago to try to break up all the ice there's lots of open water so it's not a, a big issue right now so the easter and gps egg hunt which is uh, happening uh, tomorrow and it goes through april 1st how large of an area will people be able to explore and look for easter eggs on well, considering the temperatures we have this weekend, uh, we didn't make the area too, too large because we know some little kids will want to participate as well. So it's going to be pretty, pretty much uh, close to the interpretive center. So maybe like uh, just a little loop, uh, 100 meters away from the building, not too, too far. And uh, you mentioned the two Easter egg hunts. We have the one outside, the GPS Easter egg hunt, taking place at 2 p.m. every day, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And we have also the indoor uh, a traditional Easter egg hunt on Sunday. So for kids who just want to do the little indoor one, that's going to be taking place on Sunday as well. And the Interpretive Center is a real great place to spend uh, a few hours as well, Jacques. Oh, you bet. We actually also have uh, uh, a great uh, cafe overlooking the marsh. We have a special on Sunday with, uh, you know, baked ham, scalloped potatoes. That's going to be one of the uh, highlights for me because I love ham. So I invite people to join us on Sunday to explore the marsh and see the marsh when it's waking up in the spring. And uh, it's going to be a great time. Okamak Marsh in Stonewall. Before we let you go, Jacques, uh, do you have any other events uh, coming up that uh, you wanted to give a plug to? Well, there's always lots of stuff coming up. This is actually our 25th anniversary at Okamak Marsh this year. So every 25th day of the month, we have a special wacky event that we've never done before. So uh, just check out our calendar at okamicmarsh.ca for more information. All right, Jacques Bourgeois, thank you so much for joining us this morning on 680 CJOB. Enjoy the weekend, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me. You too. Jacques Bourgeois, Oak Hammock Marsh in Stonewall. Small Town Salute brought to you by South Beach Casino and Resort, where service sets them apart. Southbeachcasino.ca. If you're a smoker, you'll have to butt out on outdoor patios uh, starting Sunday. Like we say, that's not really going to be a big issue based on the weather. The city approved a ban on smoking on outdoor restaurant patios back in January. That means nobody will be able to smoke cigarettes, e-cigarettes, cigars, vape pens, or any other kind of tobacco product where food and beverages are served. Scott Jocelyn, president of the Manitoba Hotel Association, spoke with Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham yesterday on the news about the smoking ban. Very disappointed with what came down, obviously. Heard loud and clear that the city... 
uh, you know, the citizens of Winnipeg did not want to have smoking with uh, eating and drinking and totally got that. I guess we were disappointed at the finals. You know, in the final proceedings, was it even existing patios today that are basically smoking corrals that our operators won't be able to use those areas without getting the occupancy removed uh, to just have people who are smoking separate from the people who are not smoking? And I think that's probably the biggest frustration as we look at it now. Um, You know, we have those areas set up. They exist. Operators went to the expense of having them. Many of those people weren't serving food on in those areas. Yeah, but you're still going to go. see outside entrances, people smoking, and you're going to have to run the gauntlet anyways. It's that way at a lot of hotels that don't have the patios right now. Yep. Totally, Richard. And I think that'll, you know, and I don't want to be the doomsday guy, but I think that'll even get worse because those the the hotels that don't, yeah, you have to run, you have to run through that and. Uh, you know, you, you know me, a huge non-smoker. Uh, you know, I like the fact that the people who are smoking, the reality is that people still do and that those people are in an area and now I don't know where they're going to smoke. Uh, you know, they're going to be able to stand on a sidewalk or stand in the middle of a parking lot or wherever and smoke. And, and, and I think the, uh, you know, the, the people at City Hall were thinking, hey, you know what, we'll come with this, with this answer. It's really it's good. It, it makes sense. But I think when you really think about it, I think what you've ended up with is not any better than we were before. I think it's worse than we're going to be. So, Scott, I'm not sure I understand, but I, I understand these, these walled-off or glassed-off areas that are quote-unquote considered a patio. But if they right. don't have tables and chairs and you're not, there's no service out there, that cannot be used as a smoking area? Is that what you're saying? Our understanding today is that that cannot be used as a smoking area. You'd have to get the barriers removed and have the occupancy removed from that area uh, to allow people to smoke. So it would be easier just to, if it had never existed and you just threw a picnic bench in the middle, you know, middle of your area, then yeah, you could do it. But because it has, it has been a patio, it has the barriers that people had to have to have it set up to be a patio, those all have to be removed. And that is frustrating. That's Scott Jocelyn, president of the Manitoba Hotel Association in conversation yesterday with Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham on the news about the patio smoking ban. And there, there, there has been some confusion on those specifically designed smoking areas, those little penned-off areas, as Greg, what, what did they call it at the old Palomino Club? They called it the smoking corral, yeah. and really that's exactly what it was. You couldn't take your drink out there. There was no server uh, of any kind out there bringing you food and or drink. It was simply a place for you to go outside and have a cigarette and maintain, be and maintain a spot within a secure area. People also have to remember these drinking establishments, a lot of them are restricted by age. And so there are security issues as well when it pertains to a bar where there are only people who are 18 plus. So you've got two things in question. Are you of age to be here? And are you bringing in a weapon of some sort? And so... This allowed you to be able to go outside, have a cigarette, and stay on the quote-unquote on the property. That, by our understanding, will disappear. That option will disappear for not only nightclubs, but also for restaurants slash bars. So we have asked the city, just for some clarification, we sent a note to our friends over at the city just to say, does does it apply to those areas as well? I think it does, but we'll find out from the city uh, soon enough. We... Th- I think that the, you should still be able to go out into those areas and have a smoke. 
because it will create some security problems for the businesses that have those spots. Because now anytime somebody wants to go out for a smoke, you got to go outside. Bouncers got are trying to deal with a crowd of people trying to come in. And now you've got a crowd of people trying to go out. It just seems like a nightmare to you me. You are uh, literally leaving the premise. One of the other major stories we're following here at 680 CJOB for the last Geez, this is going on a week now. The Manitoba Métis Federation challenging the province's decision to stop a settlement with Manitoba Hydro. New revelations in that yesterday. All but one member of the Manitoba Hydro Board resigned last week after the province put the brakes on a near $70 million settlement to be paid out over 50 years between Hydro and the MMF. Premier Brian Pallister called it persuasion money. But the MMF believes the government overreached and breached the 2014, quote, turning the page agreement between the Crown Agency, MMF, and the government. This deal established that land. Negotiations would only require the government's involvement if the MMF and Manitoba Hydro were unable to reach agreements. In this case, the MMF said a legally binding agreement was reached with Manitoba Hydro in July 2017, covering a bundle of projects, including the last leg of the Bipole 3 project traveling through southeast Manitoba to Minnesota. The MMF alleges the Premier has known about this deal for eight months. So for Manitobans, I apologize to you that I have to go and fight this Premier to protect my people, but more importantly, to send a message to all Manitobans. No one should ever be treated this fashion in this province. This is a, our province, and this belongs to Manitobans. And we need to send a message loud and clear to this Premier. I don't think this is the position of his, his uh, MLAs of all. I don't think it's the position of all his ministers. This is the position of one individual who has taken a position that he is the king. There is no kings in this country. I'm sorry. We have a democracy in this country. That is the leader of the MMF, David Chartrand. Uh, Brian Pallister said last week that the case could have set a bad precedent for the future of hydro developments, and the MMF agrees, but for completely different reasons. The MMF said it has authorized legal proceedings against the government seeking a judicial review to overturn the province's decision. The MMF also says it has received no official notice from the government about the decision. And uh, we wanted to recap one other uh, story here that we have covered in the last 24 hours on CJOB. That's the fact Manitoba Liberal leader Dougal Lamont is looking to win a seat in the legislature as an MLA for St. Boniface. Lamont announced his bid to be the Liberal candidate in the St. Boniface by-election Wednesday morning. The riding was left vacant earlier this month after longtime MLA and former Premier Greg Selinger resigned. Lamont, who lives in Fort Rouge with his family, says he may think about moving to St. Boniface should he be elected. Um, I've got four kids at school, and we're, and uh, it's, my family's incredibly important to me, uh, and I don't want to disrupt their lives too much, despite my decision to go into politics. Uh, so, but it, it would certainly be, I would certainly consider it, yeah. Lamont was elected leader of the Manitoba Liberal, Liberal Party last fall. Uh, uh, Brett McGarry, uh, yep. where, where does the Premier of Manitoba live and which constituency? Premier lives on Wellington Crescent. I believe he lives in the River Heights constituency. He represents the people of Fort White. Interesting. So the, <laughs> we were talking earlier about uh, high profile, there, there's some high profile politicians who represent one riding but live in another 
That seemed, that's the obvious one. Of course it is. And uh, <laughs> we wanted to know from you if this poses a concern for you or is this new uh, style of politicking and the idea of not limiting where representatives live uh, something that you're comfortable with. Send us a note, 780 The nomination meeting, by the way, is April 26th. The Liberals haven't held official party status in Manitoba since 1995. And a win by Lamont would give them four sitting MLAs and official party status. One, two, three. I'm Brett. He's Greg. She's Shanalee Vidal. Three things with Shanalee. It's three things to do this weekend. The Family Fun Edition. Hello there, Shanalee. Good morning, Brett. Good morning, Greg. I need some family fun. Give me a list of things to do (laughs) with the family before I... Harm my children. Wow! <laughs> and I and I especially think I know I know some parents have taken this week off work and maybe yes. they're they're running out of things to do and then there uh, some people are getting the Easter holidays off and they might have extra you know extra family members coming over and a house full of people so you know here's some things to do to get out of the house. All right. Okay. So I mentioned this one last week. It is worth mentioning again. So this weekend is your last opportunity, very last opportunity to visit the Assiniboine Park Conservatory and see all of those beautiful tropical tropical plants because the aging facility is slated for demolition and it's going to be replaced by the diversity garden. So the final day of operation is set for Monday. All right. Then. So what you can do is you can make a whole day out of it. You can uh, go see the conservatory. Then you can head over to the zoo. You can see the polar bears. You can go see the Leo Mall sculpture garden. You can have the spend the whole day there and have lots of family fun and, uh, you know, not get too stressed out, hopefully. The polar bears will feel right at home this weekend. My word, that forecast really stinks. I was going to say look for peacocks, but I don't, I, don't, uh, I don't think it's a little early for that. They're sleeping, I think. <laughs> and of course, the zoo and the conservatory will, will, will be open all weekend, including uh, Friday and Monday. Very good. What about what about uh, Easter eggs? That's a big deal for a lot of people this weekend. It is an Easter egg. And of course, I know I love those, you know, those fancy Ukrainian Easter eggs that are so intricately decorated. Mm-hmm. I'm amazed that people can actually make those. Really? <laughs> I, I, I can't. Right? <laughs> They're called, uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, Pesenki. Pesenki? I don't, I, I'm just, I'm waiting for a Ukrainian I'm not to gonna call correct us you. and correct us. So my apologies if I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. So if you ever want to learn more about that, you have a chance this weekend because there is a Ukrainian Easter egg workshop happening on Saturday. You can learn about the theory and meaning behind creating Pisanki, uh, Pisanki designs and how to create them. It's going to cost $10 a person, but that's going to cover the cost of one egg and the supplies and all ages are welcome. So it's happening at the Westminster housing co-op that's on, on 145 Maryland now I believe it is limited uh, limited uh, seating so if you want to make sure that you reserve your spot in advance you can just send an email to if you have a pen and paper right now uh, Michaela Ray M-I-C-H-A-E-L-A so just like Michael with an A Ray R-A-E at gmail.com alright two callers oh, now three callers are the people calling to say how to pronounce Pesenki behind the glass Jerry Pesenka. Pesinka. 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 Okay. Pesinka. Thank you. Pesinka. 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 Pesin
<laughs> Thank you very I'm much sorry. to our listeners for calling in. We had three people call immediately. We very much appreciate that uh, because I had no idea how to say it either. So we have a very large Ukrainian community. We knew that we could count on you to walk us through that forest. And uh, yes, thank you for that. <laughs> now, number three, uh, this one. This one is fun because a super fun thing that to do with your family or do with your friends, just sit around, play some board games. I know I have a, a rather interesting board game collection myself. So you maybe you want to try some new games out. You're not quite sure about purchasing. Well, there is an open board game day happening this weekend or this this Saturday, rather, at Churchill Park United Church at 525 Beers Ford Avenue in Fort Rouge. It's a free event. You can bring the entire family, try out some new games, or maybe you have some games at home and you, you want some friends to play with and all of your friends are busy hanging out with their family this weekend. Go take the game, go to the Churchill Park United Church, and you'll find some people to play with and uh, and have a fun time. <laughs> and uh, so I want to ask you guys, what's your favorite What's your favorite game? What's your favorite board game to play? Oh, boy. When I was a kid, I used to enjoy a game, I believe it was called Ludo. And uh, it was a simple game that uh, you just... Uh, hang on a second. It's a strategy board game for two to four players in which the players race their four tokens from start to finish according to the rolls of a single die. And we had this really old board. I bet you it was from the 50s that my mom and I would play on. My mom was super competitive, hated losing. She helped me, but she usually beat me, so I ended up hate, hating losing because my mom would always beat me in this stupid game. So, but which I, one so of, yeah, I liked it. Which one of, <laughs> so which one of you flipped over the... the the board. Oh, I'm the I'm definitely the the board flipper. If there's ever a board that that gets flipped, uh, I often play uh, what ends up being, we'll, we'll just say early hours chess. When uh, my friend Mike Grovner comes over, sometimes at like say one thirty two in the morning, he says, "Hey, you want to play chess?" And he always beats me, especially at that particular time if we've uh, uh, been hanging out. And then uh, I did flip the board once, and we <laughs> I lost one of the pieces. I, I found it a week later. It had wedged itself behind some books on my That's bookshelf. That's what you get for flipping boards, Greg. Yeah, uh, Ma- Mastermind. And I don't know if you remember that one. It was uh, yeah. kind of a strategy one where you would put a code based on colored dots and you would hide it from your competition. And there were five spaces and your competitor would put what he thought might be the colored pattern of pegs that you'd created. Oh, and you I could know this tell, one. Right. And you could tell him with another peg whether you had how many you had right and in, and whether or not they were in the right place or not. So I love that. I love Battleship. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. And, yeah. uh, of course, uh, the good old standby Monopoly. Oh, Monopoly. I love playing Monopoly. Monopoly and could play for hours, hours and hours. And my brother Kevin and I played successfully for years without having having too many arguments, but uh, that one can really create some tension in the family if they go too far and uh, you start making these rules that don't really exist and uh, then uh, it can get ugly. So remember and you uh, remember you get the monopoly money and then you think you're rich because you have all this money. Yes, of yeah. course, and uh, building hotels. And, uh, yeah, I love I love Monopoly. I have a game right now. I also, uh, my favorite game now is Crokinole. 
the World Championships of which I believe are held in Waterloo. So that's where they make the crokinole boards. They are uh, very much a, a Canadian thing. Crokinole. I have never played game. it. Really? We'll, we'll, we'll have to educate you. No, ya. no. But uh, I will. I will throw up my game recommendation. I will say I'm not going to say I'm not going to say here, Kitty Kitty. That's the one where you lure the cats to your house. I will say <laughs> Bonanza or Beananza, and it's basically a card game, and you're growing beans, all different types of beans, and you have to collect them all the this the same types of beans and you harvest them for gold and it's and you can trade with people but it's super competitive and you can help people or not help them and it's so much fun so bonanza i think it's a german game i'm writing it down yeah bean nanza bean nanza yeah chandelier vidal three things with chandelier heard after the eight o'clock news on 680 cjob enjoy your long weekend chandelier I've got to take a deep breath before we do this next segment, Brett, because I'm really bothered by the Winnipeg police release that came out. I guess it came out yesterday, Brett. Okay. Was it, or was it earlier today? Uh, it was uh, yesterday. yesterday. Yesterday afternoon. Yesterday afternoon. And, well, I know we've been mentioning it in the news, but... In detail, we should read this release. Do you mind reading it in your best newsmen's voice? Uh, yes, uh, this is from straight from the Winnipeg Police. It's a community notification. The Winnipeg Police Service today, so this was uh, yesterday, provides information regarding Stephen Gordon Peter Marcotte, 55 years of age, a convicted sex offender considered high risk to reoffend in a sexual manner against male children, more specifically teenage boys. Marcotte will be released from Stony Mountain Institution on March 28th, so that was yesterday. He's been released. After serving a sentence regarding convictions for sexual interference and failed to comply with conditions of an undertaking, Marcotte is expected to take up residence in Winnipeg. Upon release, Marcotte will be subject to a lifetime order of prohibition, which prohibits his attendance at a public park or public swimming area where persons under 16 years of age are present or can reasonably be expected to be present, or a daycare center, school ground, playground, or community center. He is also prohibited from having any contact whatsoever with any person under 16 years of age, unless under the supervision of a person deemed appropriate by the court. Marcotte is an untreated, untreated sexual offender considered high risk to reoffend in a sexual manner. That's the word that gets me. The one you just repeated. Untreated. Untreated. I understand that people commit crimes, people commit crimes against humanity, they against society, they are punished, they serve a sentence. In this case, this gentleman has done this. I, uh, I don't even really want to use the word gentleman. This individual has done that and is now being released. But the fact that he is untreated and there it goes on to list detail, in great detail, what this man was convicted of, what he has done. I do not understand how someone who comes with a warning label this large, you couldn't even put it on a t-shirt for this guy to wear and include all the things that he's not allowed to do and to qualify and tell you all the things he has done is allowed back into our society. Yeah, and uh, you made the, the comment that there is a, the line in particular, we'll get to it in a moment, that you had never seen in a news release. But as I look at this release from the Winnipeg Police, 
I think this may be the longest news release I've ever seen from the police, at least on this particular subject. And I don't think I've ever seen uh, background information which goes into such specific detail. And I'm going to read some of this here. And just a warning that some of this is pretty graphic, but we read it just so you can understand the... How serious this situation is. The background information on Stephen Gordon Peter Marcotte, again, 55-year-old man with a criminal record, and uh, which includes forcible confinement, buggery, sexual interference, uttering threats, indecent act, trespass at night, and assault of a police of a peace officer. So, back in 1987, this goes back to 1987. He was convicted of forcible confinement and buggery involving a 13-year-old boy. He received a sentence of five years on each charge concurrent and a five-year weapons prohibition. 2006, convicted of an indecent act for riding his bike while naked in Vancouver, was placed on two years probation. 2015, Marcotte gave alcohol to a 15-year-old boy, sexually interfered with him in a public park. He had also been in contact with a 16-year-old boy, in breach of a condition of an undertaking that prohibited contact respecting an incident that occurred in June 2015, and he received a total sentence of 45 months. Now, there's a line here uh, do you that you really jumped out at you. It jumped out at all of us, quite frankly. And it says, they're providing this information to enable members of the public, i.e. you, to take suitable measures to protect themselves. And, and this is, I've never seen this. Any form of vigilante activity or other unreasonable conduct directed at Stephen Gordon Peter Marcotte will not be tolerated. This says it all. This release from police says it all. He has already shown that he will breach conditions. He did so. He was convicted of breaching conditions that prohibited from doing certain things as it pertained to children. This is, it's incomprehensible to me that this, that this person is, is allowed ever, ever, ever out of prison. It sickens me to imagine that in our society where we love our children as much as we do all the things that we purportedly do to protect our children on a daily basis that somehow in the mix, somehow in the criminal code that there is not some sort of protection for children, for society, from individuals like this. There has to be at some point in my opinion, my very strong opinion that someone like this actually get a genuine life sentence never to be part of society again he's indicated full force that he's not interested in being a genuine or real part of society he is a predator and to imagine that we are letting this guy back into our community makes me absolutely ill and again winnipeg police they'll read you the line again any form of vigilante activity or other unreasonable conduct directed at Stephen Gordon, Peter Marcotte, will not be tolerated. And they say this after providing this information because they are giving this information and they are giving you these details because they want you to know that he has been released. And that if they are also asking, if you have any information on him that police need to know about, 
you are asked to contact them, and I'll give you that phone number. This is the Integrated High-Risk Sex Offender Unit. The phone number is 204-984-1888. Again, that's 204-984-1888. My comments are not an indictment anyway of the Winnipeg Police Service, police anywhere. This is a failing of the criminal justice system, the fact that we do not have some line, some charter, some sort of law that applies to someone like this individual. It, 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 it just, it's unconscionable that this, that this dude is allowed to be released back into society. He has zero interest in being a part of society. None. Beautiful music. Really, uh, yeah. If that doesn't inspire you to, to reach for the stars, I don't know what does. Like that just reminds me, i got to get my piano tuned this weekend. <laughs> it just proves that uh, you don't have to have any, any musical talent to get a recording contract. Yeah. Hey, it's Couch Potatoes time. I'm Brett McGarry. Greg Mackling and Jeff Braun is in studio to talk about what's new coming up. At the movies, we usually do this on Friday, but tomorrow's Good Friday, so we're not going to be here tomorrow. So we'll tell you right now, and there's actually a movie that is open as of today. It's a new one from Steven Spielberg. What's it called, Jeff Ready, Player One. They called our generation the missing millions. Missing not because we went anywhere. There's nowhere left to go. Nowhere. Except the Oasis. It's the only place that feels like I mean anything. A world where the limits of reality are your own imagination. So the deal with Ready Player One is based on a book which was written a few years ago. And the book is either loved by geeks or it's despised also by geeks because it's... uh, it, I, and I read one of the pages. It just reads like an like an endless Family Guy gag, where it's just pop culture reference after pop culture really? reference. So I haven't read the book, so I can't comment entirely on it. I, I I don't know. But some people love it for that. Some people hate it. The movie is it, it almost looks like it's mostly in CG because it takes place in this video game world where you can like drive the DeLorean from Back to the Future, yes, yes. or you can be the Iron Giant or or Gandalf or whatever. Chucky. How does the licensing work on something like that? It they, must have cost about a fortune. They managed to get licensing like crossing all different platforms, regardless of studio affiliation. It's incredible. Is it? A, I've seen I've seen the trailer, yeah. and it's like, yeah. How did they manage to pull? I that guess when one you're off? Steven Spielberg and you say hey, I want to use that for a minute. People are glad to oblige. Yeah, and that's the thing. I I was reluctant, very skeptical when I saw the trailer. I thought, that looks like it's going to be dumb. Giant commercial, basically. Yeah. Right? But it's Steven Spielberg, and you just can't rule him out because, Jeff, you have had some hesitation with some of his Oscar-nominated movies for the last couple of years, yeah, right? Yeah, uh, a few, well, with the post this year, I was like, oh, that sounds like, it sounds like, again, it was like, it sounds like it's too good to be true with uh, Hanks and Meryl Streep and Spielberg. And so I was skeptical, and then that was actually a pretty, really good movie. But even a few years before that, when Bridge of Spies came out, just because the trailer was kind of nothing, the title was just boring and dull, and I was just like, ah, that's, that's crap. 
And then it got nominated for Oscars. And I was like, okay, I guess I got to see it. And I watched it. I was like, oh, my God, this is one of the best movies I've seen in a long time. It's it's like I put Bridge of Spies. That's a top 10 Spielberg movie for me. So, so yeah. So I, every time I sort of, eh, whatever, then it's like, boing, he does a great job. Yeah, and that's what it sounds like that's the case here. It's got a 78% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Randall King in the free press says it's big, forgettable, fun. So at the very least, it's fun, yeah. but it looks like it's kind of fluff that you might go into the movie, enjoy it with your bag of popcorn for a couple hours, and then forget about but it. But if you watch that trailer, you wouldn't think... Fun is the only... You know, that's all you want from that movie anyways. Yeah. You don't... Why would you expect anything else? Yeah, there are no hidden social messages no. or or anything like that. My kids are uh, kind of revved up to see this because they live in that world, right, where the messages that they get are 90 seconds each, these short YouTube videos that they watch, and the idea of kind of picking and choosing and seeing all the pop culture references I think is something that's going to appeal to a big group of kids. I want to mention this because this has got to be something that's exciting for Jeff. Grant Park. Classic film series <gasps> is got something special this what? weekend. Hey, hey, this is a private residence, man. Oh, nice marmot. The Big Lebowski. What? I didn't know this was happening. I just watched this. What two weeks ago was the anniversary, twentieth anniversary of its release, or whatever. And now it's in theaters, eh? Dude, it's, and it's listed at for Saturday, Sunday at ten a.m. That's a tall order for a movie like The Big Lebowski. Yeah, can you bring out <laughs> what is it? A white Russian that he always exactly. drank? Well, I think the plan would be to stay up all Saturday night and oh. then go straight to the theater at ten a.m. on Sunday. The, so uh, it's kind of a seamless operation. There. I don't think the dude would even make a bowling game at ten in the morning. So, <laughs> so just uh, very quickly, Jeff, because I've only seen The Big Lebowski once and it's been many years so I need to see it again for all intents and purposes I'll be watching it again for the first time because I barely remember it Rewatching pays off with The Big Lebowski too as it does with all Coen Brothers movie it's this uh, loopy comedy starring uh, Jeff Bridges as this aging hippie and his uh, Vietnam vet buddy Walter played by uh John Goodman. Goodman, and they get into this sort of it's a bit of a mystery where there's a, a kidnapping and these guys are going to be the bagmen doing the drop off and there's these nihilists that they but it's it's just a loopy comedy the the plot is one of these weird concentric circles that the Coen brothers like to do where in the end everything adds up to nothing. And you're just there for the vibe and the mood of it and the hilarity that ensues. Coming-of-age movies are supposed to pertain to teenagers, not to 40-plus-year-old uh, men. <laughs> yeah. But that's really what this is, is a coming-of-age movie for for Jeff Bridges' character. And, it, it, you know, for all the incredible work that Jeff Bridges has done, it's right at the top of the list for I'd me. I'd say it's the very top of the list. I Whenever if it's like, what's your favorite performance of the 1990s? I say Jeff Bridges, Big Lebowski. He should have won an Oscar. He didn't. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's an all-time classic. Lebowski fans uh, will know about it. They love it. There's Lebowski fests every year around the world. I've got a book about Lebowski fans. So, it's uh, yeah, there'll, there'll be people there at 10 in the morning on Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, and, and and actually, now I might have to fall on a sword here because I I, ch I saw those listings in the paper, but Ruh -ruh. I'm looking I'm looking at Grant Park's website now, Ruh -ruh. and they are not I'm not seeing it 
on their website. So maybe it's for next Saturday and Sunday. So let me just look ahead to Saturday, April 7th. Uh, no, it's not listed there. We've got four copies of the DVD if anyone wants to borrow one to watch on the weekend. So. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll, we'll have it for quote-unquote rent here at CJOB. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll double-check that and get that sorted out. Uh, but in the meantime, thank you very much, Jeff Braun. Yep. Couch Potatoes, Saturday at uh, noon, Sunday at 6 p.m. You can download the podcast at uh, Google Play and iTunes. We're going to be presenting at the Met tomorrow at which awards, Greg? It, it is the uh, the Winnipeg Nightlife Awards, and uh, you and I get to present the award for something we're both very familiar with, the best pizza. Pizza! In Winnipeg. So we're looking forward to doing that. Lots of uh, 680 CJOB uh, personalities uh, still eligible for awards as well. We did not make the final cut, sorry to say, but Hal Anderson did and our friend Kevin Bergen did as well in a couple different categories and the station overall up for best uh, radio station in Winnipeg. That's right. So that is happening tomorrow night at uh, Met. It's the third annual Winnipeg Nightlife Awards and you can get more information at winnipegnightlifeawards.com. Hey, baseball's opening day Yes, has arrived. Everybody's zero and zero. Everybody's tied for first place or last place, I guess, depending on what type of personality you have. Half full, half empty. One of those types. And uh, the Toronto Blue Jays opening their season against the New York Yankees today. Uh, We really don't care about the Blue Jays uh, between Brett and I, but we were forced to talk about the Blue Jays by (laughs) Kim Lawson. (laughs) I used to cheer for the. I admit, I when uh, Roberto Alomar was doing his McCain commercials, the one with the McCain punch, catch the taste, catch the taste. Yeah, I was a huge Blue Jays fan uh, in the 1990s, but uh, and now it's kind of dropped off for me. But hey, does Canada's only Major League Baseball team have a shot of making it to the World Series? <laughs> no. <laughs> End of segment. <laughs> No. (laughs) (laughs) To talk about the Blue Jays and the other baseball teams, we are joined live on 680 CJOB by Jamie Bettens, who is president of the Manitoba Junior Baseball League. Mr. Bettens, good morning to you, sir. Great morning to you guys as well. Sorry, Jamie, if you're a Blue Jays fan, I apologize for dismissing them uh, as making it to the World Series. I think the bigger question is, are they going to manage to stay relevant uh, through the All-Star break? Well, I always uh, follow the adage that good pitching beats good hitting, and and if there's one strong point that you can focus on for the Toronto Blue Jays, it's their starting staff, and uh, uh, not a lot of people will buy into it at this point in the season, but I think a lot of people will also uh, buy into their bullpen at some point, too, if they can stay healthy enough. So am I making a mistake at dismissing the Blue Jays so easily, Jamie? I certainly wouldn't be writing them off just yet. Um, there's enough of a veteran presence in there combined with you know, players on the upswing, but again, it, I think they're going to go as far as their pitching staff goes. And a lot of people are not talking about Aaron Sanchez and Jay Happ and Marcus Stroman, Marco Estrada, guys who can log you know, 180 to 200 innings. Um, our, our top five versus just even the American League East, which is kind of the monster division, really has us you know, in that top one or two of rotations, I think. And uh, it gives them more than a fighting chance. Now, I heard rumblings this morning in our newsroom that the Jays are potentially looking at uh, shopping Josh Donaldson. Did I hear that correctly, Greg? 
He did. Okay, he, so he's, there... got a, he's got a bad ankle right now, uh, but he is probably what? Probably about a 20 to $25 million a year player, Jamie? Yeah, there, there's a there's an opportunity right now. He came through his arbitration hearing and 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 has done well. I think he's going to make in excess of about 23 million this season. He's going to be the first player that is talked about and the player that's most talked about, depending upon the record. If they come out of the gate hot and things are going well, well then the talk will be centered around: Can we get an extension? Does he believe in what we're doing here? And are we believable as a team long term? And if they don't start well, um, the minute the boo birds, so to speak, start coming to games, um, the talk will be what what is his value, what can we get for him, and how soon do we have to unload him to maximize on that prior to losing him as a free agent at the end of this season. Now, I understand as well that uh, there's just not as much buzz around the this year's home opener, even with the Bronx Bombers in town. Why do you think that is? You know, I, I think that, the the fans in Toronto and and Canadian baseball fans in general are 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 more educated than they've ever been so they're not uh they're not wrong when they assess kind of what's going on the what free agents have been picked up but there are no big splashes um but I I do think that there's a bit of a quiet confidence the part for me in looking at what they've done in spring training is you know who are the quiet guys that have been performing kind of under the radar nobody has talked about uh, Osuna, the closer in, in spring training, barely anybody said anything. All of the talk was around, you know, guys like Stroman because he's not afraid to talk. He's not afraid of a microphone. Nobody talks about Aaron Sanchez. Yes, he's hurt and he's got the blister issues, but if you look beyond that, you know, he was almost a Cy Young contender at, at one point with, you know, 15 wins and, a, and the best ERA uh, prior to last season. Um, you know, Guys like Estrada, Hap, flying under the radar. Justin Smoke had a great year. Everyone asked, can he repeat that? I believe he can. And then you look at kind of what we did to the outfield. Um, it was a dr- addition by subtraction. So, again, you know, I may sound like I'm, uh, for lack of a better term, drinking the, the Kool-Aid here, but, you know, I think that the fact that we're not hearing a lot coming out of camp might be saying something for what they, they believe internally they have. Uh Jamie Bettens joins us now, president of the Manitoba Junior Baseball League. We'll talk a little bit overall about baseball and the attraction of attending Major League Baseball games and minor league games, uh, gold eyes games in just a minute. But the sad news this morning, I, Jamie, I apologize. I don't know which generation you, you fall under, but Rusty Staub, the Le Grand Orange, uh, who spent uh, some time in Montreal when they came into Major League Baseball, uh, passed away today, two days shy of his 74th birthday. I'm not old enough to remember Rusty Rusty Staub playing for the Expos, but my dad used to talk about him playing for the Expos all the time, and he really was uh, one of the individuals that helped instate the Expos as the institution they became in Montreal in spite of them leaving back in 2004. Rusty Staub, Gary Carter, uh, you know, you could point to, you know, Vladimir Guerrero, uh, you know, Larry Walker, those, those are those influential Montreal players that really put Canadian baseball on the map and, and kind of paved the way for you know what we have now across all the provinces. We have so many players now playing U.S. college baseball and signing professional contracts and local players and, and Canadian-born players playing for the Gold Eyes and the Ottawa Champions and some of these independent leagues. 
and again, if we didn't have the Rusty Stobbs and the Larry Walkers and 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 you know the Rob Ducey's even uh, with the Blue Jays and some of those players, you know, we wouldn't have Canadian baseball where we're at today. And I'll throw Corey Koski's name uh, right at the top of that Jake, list as well, Jamie. Absolutely, as far as a local product go, you know, him and Troy Fortin have, have paved the way for so many players yeah. as well. And I think the Gold Eyes have. I think it's close to a hundred if it hasn't broken a hundred uh, players that have played here at some point in their career that have had appearances and time in Major League Baseball. So, you know, just uh, when you go out to see the Gold Eyes, remember, uh, you know, these individuals, these players' names, because you never know when they're going to come up again. But just talk about going to the ballpark, Jamie, if you would. We were having this discussion earlier, and, and there might be some people listening right now going, well, maybe they've already changed the channel because they're not interested uh, in baseball. But baseball is one of those sports where you don't necessarily have to be a fan of any team, of any organization, to go to the ballpark and really enjoy yourself. Absolutely not. Um, and I and I really believe that one of the best examples is is right here in Winnipeg and, and with the Winnipeg Gold Eyes. Um, it is a it is a family event. Um, the opportunity to get a break in between every innings only uh, allows for you know major league or minor league teams to do a lot of promotions and reach back into the stands. It's not all about the product that's you know on the field or on the ice. There's so many more things. There's so many more things that you can do from a ballpark perspective with regards to kind of the local fair, a lot of the food or a lot of the other uh, displays or other things set up um, that really, really make uh, going to a baseball game unique. Anytime you can sit outside and, you know, plus 20, 25 degree temperatures around 8 o'clock at night and uh, be able to talk and say whatever you want to the person beside you without getting hushed uh, and still enjoy, you know, some athleticism and, and some of the things that, you know, are performed on a baseball field. You know, I think it, it can be a good night. Um, you know, that doesn't even go into luxury suites and some of the other uh, accommodations that are afforded. Not everybody gets to do that, but uh, whether you're at a Gold Eyes game, a Minnesota Twins game, or somewhere down south at a Texas Rangers game, there's something unique about the team and the community that's presented, and it's presented in a way that it's uh, definitely family entertainment. I can smell a hot dog right now as you speak, Jamie. <laughs> painted uh, Picture well painted, my friend. Thank you for this. My pleasure, guys. Thank you very much, and uh, enjoy opening day today. Jamie Bettens, thank you very much, president of the Manitoba Junior Baseball League. Opening day, Major League Baseball, Blue Jays playing the New York Yankees. This is a story that's going to be difficult to tell. There's a role for you to play if you're willing to play it. Our community is uh, stronger because of this man that is dealing with something that only one other person in Manitoba has ever dealt with. Lance Manseri is our guest, and he's battling a very rare form of throat cancer. I'm Greg, and he's Brett. Indeed, it's uh, hyalinizing clear cell carcinoma. And Lance is undergoing an experimental immunotherapy, and most of these fees are not covered, which means mounting medical bills. To add to that, Lance Anna wants to bring his mother here so she can be with her grandchildren. But that is expensive. The cost to do that is prohibitive. There is a GoFundMe page. The goal is $15,000. Right now it is at $2,600 and. $2,625. Uh, so we want to try to get that number higher. Lance joins us in studio now. Lance, thank yes. you very much for coming in today to talk to us. Thank you for having me here. 
your uh, story. I have been reading it and been upset to know that you're going through what you're going through. And uh, your friend Alicia, who's here with you today, uh, presented us uh, the letter from Cancer Care Manitoba about your prognosis. And, um, well, there's no way around it. You are, yeah. you, 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 you're terminal. Yes. You are yes, in, in the last months of your life, uh, according to uh, these diagnoses and these prognoses. Yes. Uh, but you have some unfinished business that we'd like to help you carry out here. I, I hope it's okay that we, we, we call it that and, and approach it this way. Yes, yes, it's okay. It's okay to call it that way. And you have three children. Tell us about your kids. My oldest one, his name is Baka, he's 14 years old. And he's strong and like I normally make fun of him. He never gets sick. And he's a brilliant kid. He likes basketball. And he's attending General Wolf School. And it's difficult for him too because at that age, he know what it's like because he, he did his own research when I told him that I had stage four cancer. At that point, I saw him when I was not there. He did some research and when I came back, I saw him, tears filled in his eyes. And since then, he's tried as best as he could to to hold on for the little ones. Like, um, one time I asked him, why are you not spending much time with me? I want to spend much time with you. He told me, he said that. Sometimes when I, when I am at school, he said, I'm worried. I think when I come home, I will never be able to see you again. It's difficult for him, I know, but like, I'm able to put some smile in his face for him to forget about it. Because even when I try to take him sometimes to the hospital with me, it's difficult, it's so difficult for him to try to cover up his face because he's shy, I know, but this one will cut him because he loves his dad so much. We have spent we have traveled around the world with him, and most of my postings have been with him, so he knows my job, because I used to work for um, U.S. Embassy and United Nations um, back Special Court for Sierra Leone, both in Freetown and, and The Hague. Then my other child, Mariah, the, the daughter, who is between the two boys, and she's nine years old. She's so brilliant. She's clever. Like in the class, she's way, way, always listen to teacher, complete her tasks. She's one of the cleverest girl, person that I've ever seen. She's like a genius. She's calm, and everybody knows that. It's that little girl, she loves me, and I know it will be difficult. They know that I'm sick, but they did not know what type of sickness because I don't want to 
put them through all this that I'm going through. And the last one, Modi. He's seven years old and he's like a peaceful soul. Like he's always gentle. He, he greets well and he apologizes for things that he, he doesn't even did. Like if you ask him, do you do this thing? Even if it's not his cause, he will say sorry to you. He's so gentle. And he likes to play with Swain. So sometimes I make fun of him. I said, you, you're going to become an engineer. And for my daughter, she said she want to be a doctor. At that age, she is thinking about a, a career then. Sometimes I, I look at her and I said to myself, I said, I wish you, you would have been here before my diagnosis, like you have been the doctor that you wish to be. I've been diagnosed with stage four cancer. It's a rare form of cancer. And it's difficult, it's tough since last year. At some point, I even cannot speak um, during December to January because my throat got so swollen, my tongue, everything. I can't speak for a couple of days. I've been taken in and out of the hospital, and now the cancer has spread to my lungs. So the doctor, they told me that I have six months to one year to leave. So I'm battling this, and my mom, I've not seen my mom for over 11 years now. So I want my mom to come at least uh, spend a little bit of time that I have left, if that's possible, with her before. But I applied for a visa for her to come. They re reject. They said I have to have at least $10,000 in my account. And they gave so many, so many, many uh, criteria that I have to meet. And I'm battling cancer. Since last year, I've been out of work, and I don't have any insurance. So medication is, uh, when they prescribe medication for me, because I'm outpatient, so I have to uh, foot the bill. Only that um, my friends, they normally help out, but it's still is like they too, they have their own family, and though they're doing this, but it's still difficult, like, to take care of all my kids. And there are a lot of people also back back in Africa who rely on me. I have a lot of other kids who rely on me. And, but, like, they know that I'm sick, but still, like, it's difficult for, for them. We pause our conversation. We have Lance Manseray in studio with us. He is battling a very rare form of throat cancer. He's only the second person in Manitoba to be diagnosed with something called hyalinizing clear cell carcinoma. He's been given six to 12 months 
to live. Now, he has a GoFundMe page. Uh, They're looking to raise $15,000 to help pay for his immunotherapy, his experimental immunotherapy, as well as to help bring his mother here. He is a refugee uh, from Sierra Leone uh, who worked at The Hague. I don't know if you caught that as he was uh, describing his, uh, giving us some of his history, but uh, as a fascinating man, we want to hear more of his story. It's Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB. Lance Mansory is in studio with us. He's uh, courageously sharing with us his story. He's battling cancer. He's only the second person in Manitoba to be diagnosed with hyalinizing clear cell carcinoma. It's throat cancer. It's very rare. Lance has been in Canada since 2009. He has three children. And we learned about his story from his friend Alicia. And uh, Alicia, maybe you could just tell us from someone that, that knows Lance, uh, what's so special about him? Uh, I don't even know how to put it in words. I met him uh, just a few years ago uh, by chance, and I was just drawn to his family. Uh, when you meet somebody, you know if they're good people, you can sense it. And just over the years, we would get together every now and then, and I've never met somebody so kind and honest and hardworking um, just he's never asked for any help before. This is only because he's in a desperate situation. It's very difficult for me to talk, so I apologize. Um, but I just, I'm desperately asking, I'm pleading the community to help this man and this family. He deserves it more than anybody I know. Um, he's always had challenges, just wanting to find full-time work to support his family. And because he didn't have that Canadian experience, despite his high qualifications, it was very difficult for him to find work. And finally, he found a couple casual uh, jobs in security as a security guard. So he was able to help uh, take care of his family. But uh, because he didn't have full-time employment, he doesn't have insurance. He's having all these financial hardships. And this is the person who doesn't deserve this. He needs his support. He needs the community. He's always been somebody who teaches his children to care for others, live an honest, hardworking life, and always uh, help others in the community and support one another. If you want the link to the GoFundMe page, please email either me, brett at cjob.com, that's B-R-E-T-T at cjob.com, or you can email Greg, gmac at cjob.com, that's G-M-A-C-K at cjob.com. Trying to raise $15,000, they're at $2,600. Lance, you came to Canada in 2009 as a, as a refugee from Sierra Leone. What brought you to Canada? Well, I have um, so many chances to go to different countries around the world to ask for protection, but I've worked with different nationalities, but the Canadians, we are special, we're different, because most of them, when we're dealing with detainees, most of them we are at the detention center and prosecution. So I've met with several Canadians before I see how we interact, how they behave, so um, it was quite different. And I also had a long connection here. Um, my brother settled in Ontario um, before, like, all those things um, make me decide to come to Canada because um, I see it's fit, it's the type of um, country that I want my kids to grow up. Protection. And that protection for me and my family, 
I needed it and Canada was there to guarantee me that protection. Lance, we're going to do our best to rally the community here to to share your story. You've done it so eloquently, uh, regardless of the circumstances. Uh, Honored to meet you. And like Brett said, if you'd like to help Lance and his family, send us an email, gmac at cgob.com. Brett at cjob.com. Search for Lansana Mansaray on the GoFundMe website. Indeed, Lance Mansaray, our guest, he is once again only the second person in Manitoba to be diagnosed with this rare form of throat cancer. He is undergoing experimental immunotherapy, which he's having to pay out of pocket, and he's also trying to get his mother over here from Africa. That's where you can help. So, Lance, thank you for coming in to tell your story. Alisa, thank you for bringing this to our attention. That's all the time we have. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Thanks to Behind the Glass, Jerry and Channel Evendale. And thank you for listening to CJOB. Da, da, da.